I'm amazed at the amount of conversations I've had with strangers about water. People that have watched our Kinetico commercials like to have fun with them and offer me their own water. We laugh for a little bit. And then eventually we end up talking about water and I explain what I've learned about my own water since switching to my Kinetico water treatment system. First off, I was blown away by how gross my city water has been. After changing out the filter one time, I saw just how much rust and crud built up. Trust me, it is disgusting. I used to drink that and you are too. Now my water is clean, soft and rust free. We can taste the difference, feel it in our showers, and see it in our clothes. Now you can see the difference for yourself because Aquarius Home Services and Kinetico offers a free water analysis. Get rid of that white scale buildup, orange rust stains, colors, strong odors, and funny tastes with a Kinetico water treatment system that provides the world's most efficient water softener and the best reverse osmosis system in the industry. You, too, can have worry-free drinking water today. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, and I recommend them. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. I am Travis Frank. I'm your host. It's a pleasure to be back here again today. Natalie Dillon over on the other side of the room. Brandon Morton holding down the fort and making everything happen like you always do. Appreciate you. Natalie, I just have to say I'm a little disappointed in you. That's not a good start. What it, what happened? What you I had do? the opportunity to rip me on last on the last oh, episode, you know and I'm, you took okay, the kind there. way out. I'm disappointed in me too. I was a complete <laughs> failure. I take full responsibility. I got stage fright. I should have had something ready to go. <laughs> you should have had something ready. I know Where when were you, you were gone, we made we, I know. we made you out to be on some iceberg in the middle of Lake Superior. Yeah. And gave you I a know. hero's story and everything. Yes, I like exactly. almost went with you know you moved into the field or something, but it just mm. all seemed too uh, too real. Yep. That I didn't know if people would think I was joking. So. <laughs> right. Well, I do have my voice back. It feels good to talk good again. Good to have you back, Travis. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here. Yesterday, I was on quite an adventure. We were filming an episode for a future episode. Uh, we went on an airboat ride down the Mississippi River, and we ice fished some backwater bays on the river. And I will tell you, just sitting on that airboat, that jet engine... And then flying across open water and then jumping onto ice and breaking through ice. I mean, yeah. just every part of it was exactly what I hoped it would be. It was really, really cool. I was wondering about this. Maybe we'll hear more about it later. But it, how is the transition between open water and ice? Does it like, do you feel it or is it just? Oh, you just feel go? it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Scott, the cameraman, was sitting in the front trying to film, you know, and I'm back on the, one of the captain's seats and we're flying and this motor is like, I mean, it's a jet engine, 900 horsepower, and it screams. And, you know, like, you're in this boat that is welded and thick, and but you sometimes hit ice that it just, like, it's a, it basically launches you yeah. up. And at one point, Scott was airborne in the front holding <laughs> onto the camera because of the way that the boat just shot up. And being towards the back, you, you know, and if you're in a boat going across the waves, you know, the back of the boat is where you want to be. It's a smoother ride, so... I will admit I had a nicer ride than Scott, but I think uh, overall, you know, the way that current works on rivers, you go from zero ice to 18 inches of ice almost instantly. Mm -hmm. uh, there were parts of the backwaters that we only had maybe two or three inches, and we were breaking that up as we were going. Wow. And so the drive, you know, the driver 
um, Mike McCormick is his name from McCormick's Guide Service. He's been operating airboats. This is his seventh airboat that he has, and each one he kind of perfects it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. It's a 20-foot airboat, and there mm-hmm. are three or two rows of seats for people to sit on. And but he, the way he guns it, and you're like, whoa, we're gonna mm-hmm. we're going over, and then all of a sudden you're smooth sailing again. So it's it's a pretty cool adventure. That's awesome. Yeah, I and look the fishing. To was the fishing was phenomenal was it yeah yeah Good. so fun story uh one of those cool adventures that i'll always look back on i think and yeah. say yep i like it we're, cool. so i'm excited to air that one i'm also excited you know we're kind of we're getting towards the transition now from winter into believe it or not <laughs> don't you dare say it <laughs> i'm gonna say it yeah spring is coming it might not look that way depending mm-hmm. on where you're listening this this morning or today but um, with spring transition, we have ice out, and there are a lot of people that will still be ice fishing over the next weeks and, you know, month, depending on where you live, month and a half. Our guest today is from Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. His name is Gary Thompson, nicknamed Gary the Seal Thompson. He operates Tri-State Diving, and I'm, I think, I hope anyway, that if you ice fish or spend any time on ice, you're going to be interested in this show because I, I believe most people that have driven their vehicle across ice have wondered what would happen if I dropped mm-hmm. through. And that's what our guest today specializes in, getting vehicles back out when they drop through the ice. So with that, Gary, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on the, on the program today. What's it looking like up in Detroit Lakes? Well, right now it's uh, we're in the middle of a snowstorm. We're not. I think we got about I say seven inches here last night and forty mile an hour winds. So it's a good time to be in the shop working. Says about someplace recovering yeah. something. So. What What's the last recovery you've made? Uh, we were out to uh, as far as recovery goes. We were out to Stacey um, and recovered side by side that dropped in. Uh, insurance company called. Told me on that's where we generally most of our calls come from most of the time from insurance companies and so we that's where we work with direct if not somebody calls us and something goes in um we always ask two things number one if you contact the authorities the law enforcement and second thing is if um they have got a claim number on it because we won't touch them until we got a claim number so the insurance company if we don't work with them are well aware of what's going on so Gary, I've always assumed, you know, growing up around here that usually if a vehicle goes through the ice, it probably means that somebody was out there too early in the season or too late in the season. But how often is that the case or can, you know, what other things can cause a vehicle to go through maybe unexpectedly? Well, normally we, we average one a week. We might mm-hmm. not get anything for two or three weeks and all of a sudden it gets reformed. Early ice, yeah, it can be a problem. This time of the year until the ice gets uh Honeycomb, it's mostly people getting too close to ice ridges, um, too close to cactails, or too close to river channels. And that's, you know, they're not familiar with the lake or at night, they, uh, they lost somebody up here on, on a, well, it must have been in first part of January or middle part of January, they were on Otter Kill Lake and three of them were out there riding and and going heading towards open water where the Otter Till River comes in the Otter Till Lake, and uh, one guy drowned. And I got a call. There was another guy that went in another lake, Dead Lake, that comes the river comes into another part of uh, of uh, Otter Till Lake, and he 
lives on the lake, but he got misplaced and ended up going in the river channel there. So, and other than that, it's just, it's just, you, there is no such thing as safe ice. And I hear that all the time from people and, and uh, a couple of things I, I get nervous on. I see somebody driving fast across the ice. Uh, that has a tendency to weaken the ice and creates a wave underneath. And when it creates that wave, the next person coming by, I see someone at an ice road going that way. I'm going to go another way because your, your ice becomes weak. And then and the other thing that, that we see a lot of people getting too close to cattails and they absorb the heat and, and, uh, stuff that way. We recovered a tractor down by, uh, east of White Bear Lake last month and that ended up, they were out going to, uh, New Year's Eve, and they were going to make it so they could uh, play boom, uh, broom ball. It was a, a utility tractor, compact tractor. It wasn't a huge tractor, but the ice conditions on that lake had tree layers. It was uh, a brown color, so that absorbs, and it was where the cattails were. So it never, they never do make good ice. So that's always something to be aware of when you're out there is, is the conditions. And, and oh, so we are on a job. We always we. We, uh, we drill holes every so often to make sure our equipment doesn't go in. And my pickup doesn't go on the ice. We go portable with, with other things and, and four-wheelers, and we can pull uh, our trailer behind. But I've learned over the years to be gun-shy. When I was young, it was different. But <laughs> the more of these you do, the more gun-shy you get. How long have you been operating Tri-State Diving, and how long have you been recovering vehicles from beneath the ice? Well, in the early... 70s, another gentleman and I formed Tri-State Diving. We were a search and recovery dive team, and we spent most of our summers covering, going over and recovering people that had drowned. And then um, in the middle 80s, we started training uh, local dive teams, where they got trained through other people. So it kind of took us out of that era, which was kind of nice in a way because it's, it's always stressful. And then... Um, I've been teaching since in the early 70s. I also do commercial and salvage, what salvage divers we were talking about. I also do commercial diving. We were just down to a big stone power plant and had to work on a project down there. And we averaged probably once a year, every other year going down and working for them. So we worked for this, we worked for state highway departments. We worked for uh, federal agencies, everything else on jobs other than on the commercial end of it. So. Well, I, I've, I'm fascinated by ice. I've spent so much of my life ice fishing and spending time out there, probably pushing my limits further than I should. I've gone through on Lake of the Woods. And, you know, I, I think about ice safety a lot more now that I have kids. And I know some people that are deathly afraid of ice and some people that don't think twice about it. They just they just go. Uh, when you and I talked last winter, Gary, we were just having a conversation. And I, I assumed when I ask you this question that most people go through bad areas of ice, like a pressure ridge when they drop through in Mm -hmm. the center. But you said that's not always the case. Where do they drop through and what causes a vehicle to just go down? Oh, so last year that we had, uh, we had it five in three, three days. That was in the spring. We got a call down south of battle Lake to go recover one. And there was two guys on a four wheeler, just a, down the four-wheeler, and they were all fishing. Instead of going back to the resort, they were going to go to the access. Well, they hit the, where the ice had opened up and closed up, but it wasn't strong enough at just the wrong angle. They would have went straight across it. They'd probably been all right. And then we got that job done. We were on our way back home. We had a call from somebody 
up on Mini Point Lake, which is north of Detroit Lakes, and they dropped their side, uh, their their four wheeler, two up four wheeler, in the lake. And I both of my toys, you know, the four wheeler was floating, and the other one was just hanging. So I said, get along, get a long line with either float on or something, so we can always pull it up with, without having to dive on it. And so they ended up that one that was down there in uh, Stalker Lake that just spooled it upside down. So we just cut around, put the machine up. And the other one, uh, the ice, in spring of the year, the worst place you can be is on an ice road. That's the first place because there's no, no snow to reflect it. So it's going to absorb it and it drops in. And you can also tell um, a lot of moves when there's honeycomb, they go in. Well, anyway, they got a call up to do that one, pull that out. And, uh, and I get a call after that, that there's one that dropped in North Twin Lake. That was a regular four wheeler, we four people on it. And they were able to throw the kids off and got off and nobody got wet. And that was where they had done a snowmobile race. So the ice was all chewed up and not as thick in that area. And that's all that dropped. So I had to dive on that one because it was in about 10 foot of water, hook it up. And we brought it up with my, on my bipod. And so we stopped at the resort to have lunch, and I get a call that there were two uh, two pickups that had gone through on Island Lake, east of Detroit Lakes. They went across an ice road. One did, and he dropped the tire in, and the other guy brought his pickup to help get them out. Instead of going out and around it to the other side, we could pull them out backwards. He dropped the whole pickup in, Oof. except the back end was still sticking out. When, when, a vehicle, so we, when a vehicle starts to go, how long does it typically give people before it goes down? I mean, is it case by case or, you know, some people will drive uh, with their windows the time, open? It, depending, right. And most of the time, um, uh, some of my watch where they got on a video and stuff, they could take anywhere. So boom, we did one years ago on, uh, down by Perm and it was in the spring of the year and they were all fishing for tulabies and they came across and it was thick ice, except for where they dropped in. The tulabies were keeping you, you know, that was so nice there, and they dropped in, and they just so barely got out. They were three in the pickup before it went. You know, they were getting their wet feet as they dropped in. And I've had them. I've had them where they see them where they actually hang there for for twenty, thirty minutes, and the ice just keeps getting weaker and weaker, and then they drop in. So. So for people that are going to be, you know, out on the ice in the next you know, month here, um, you know, we talked kind of visually some things to look for going on ice that still has snow on it and avoiding some of the roads as it starts to melt, um, looking for honeycomb ice, avoiding cattails, things like that. Do you recommend yep. if people are taking, you know, four wheelers or vehicles out on the ice, you know, any kind of protocols about how often to, you know, get out and stop and check the ice or what would you recommend to people so that they could be as safe as possible if they're still out there in the coming weeks? Well, we, we always, when we're going on a job, if somebody did drop in, um, we'll start out betting upon how far we get out and what the, what it was with the side by side. So when we did out in North Dakota out there, they ended up going, it was a marina and the breakwater for Lake Chicago Way where they came off Fort Stevens, uh, Park State Park. And it was a narrow, so the water moves back and forth. And when they dropped two, it was only about three inches. We started checking about halfway out to it. And we stood 19 inches and kept going down until as close we got. And most of the time, we like to have five or six inches before we bring something up. And then we can always pull it to that point under the water without a bag or something and get it out. Uh, the biggest thing is that, you know, it seems like it's a lot of work to do it. But if, if take that time and check the ice, you know, it's, and we've got the Minnesota 
DNR's got that little card to give out. Tice is never 100% safe, mm-hmm. and, and it's got all the stuff on for, like, for uh, you want four inches for walking on the ice, five to seven. Now, the problem in the spring of the year, you can still have two foot of ice, and it's worthless. And in the wintertime, uh, when we're doing jobs, we cut the first chunk out, and you can see probably why they went in. It might be 18 inches thick, but half of it's milk ice. Milk ice has half the strength. Uh, regular ice, you're down to four inches on that. And so that's where the problem is. It's not how thick it is, it's the type of ice. And how can you and once it honeycombing in the spring of the year, that's where it really gets bad because you still put a two foot of ice. And when you cut it, it looks like just honeycomb because all the water circling down through that. Mm-hmm. And that has no strength at all. Yeah, you'll notice it when you're drilling a hole. It looks like cubed ice that you'd put in your glass versus just yep. the shavings that you get this time of the year. And it, it yep. depends. And most people don't realize yeah. that. And, and that's what we go by when we're cutting ice. We're always checking in the spring of the year how, what kind of ice we got coming up. Mm-hmm. So it might be two feet thick, but at that point, it's not two foot thick anymore because it doesn't have the strength because of the honeycomb. Sure. I think the, you know, this, this DNR puts out this ice safety thickness chart, you know, and yep. sometimes I've, I have been on ice before and I don't like to admit this, but I didn't know it at the time. We had two vehicles and our fish house. And when we drilled the hole, there was only six and a half inches of ice there. And it supported yep. all of our weight. It supported the two vehicles and the 4,000-pound fish house, which is crazy to think. Ice is unbelievably strong. It really is. But, um, you know, it's, it's really finding those pockets or, like, uh, some lakes that I fish have springs. I put my – I stopped one time. I'm driving. I came to a stop next to a buddy sitting on a four-wheeler, and all of a sudden, I, right when I stopped, my front left tire went, whoop, mm. and it just dropped. And we're like, what the heck? Pulled, pulled the vehicle back out, and then we put the chisel, and the chisel went all the way through, and we're like, oh, my wow. gosh. You know, so that's the thing about ice that you just, you know, like Gary mentioned, it's never 100% safe. Um, it is amazingly strong, but sometimes it just, you have to use your mind. You have to use common sense a little bit, too, and look at the conditions well, that are on the side of caution. Gets to be a problem. You could have thick ice, but if it's in a dam, up above a dam or whatever, that dam gets lowered, that ice, if it's not touching water, doesn't have the strength. It's got to have the water under it to have true strength. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago on Lake of the Woods, you know, there's two feet of ice and there's a road out there and a bunch of vehicles went through on the road. Yep. And I was up there last week and we were, I was talking to one of the guides and he goes, yeah, we, we, we figured it was going to happen. The reason was there were people driving too fast. And like you mentioned, Gary, the ice became brittle and essentially it buckled the ice on that road because people were going too fast on this road. What is a safe speed, generally speaking, to go on the ice to ensure that the um, ice wouldn't break? Well, it, it doesn't actually break. We create that, we had dust crack and stuff, and you, even a lot of these ice roads, and you'll see a crack going down the length of the ice road. Well, you got a whole area if you're on one side or close to it. That's, I know one went up there that way this year on Lake of the Woods, if it's going crossways of the road, it's not as bad as if it's going diagonal or it's right going down the center of the road because you got all that weight in that one area on a crack. That's where the problem is. And a lot of people don't, if, if you got snow on it, especially early snow and you got a bunch of snow on top, you can't see where the cracks and stuff are at. And that's mm-hmm. when a lot of people drop in too because if, if they saw that, they wouldn't be driving there. Hmm. 
Not to freak people out, but this is a real thing. You know, it, it can happen. When a vehicle or an ATV or side-by-side goes through, Gary, what does it, like, what are the next steps? What happens? Do they call the sheriff? Do they call uh, their insurance company? Does insurance cover when vehicles go through? And then how do you get the phone call to ultimately pull people out? Well, the sheriff's department's up around this area. If it goes through, um, they tell the people to call me. They're not going to call me. The people have to. Uh, if it's a through insurance company, if they, if they talk to an insurance company and I work with them, they're, they're, I'll go right directly to them. So it just makes it a lot easier. We take everything. We take care of everything from the beginning to the end. But that's the main thing to do is and, uh, the one I took out of that snowmobile out of Otterchill Lake. I said, you call the sheriff's department. And he says, well, he says, I was walking back, and I suppose I was out there, the deputies also working on the drowning and coming back. He stopped me, he said, you okay? See, I put my snowmobile in. He said, you want to ride your place? Oh, I've got 100 yards to go, and he drove away. I said, he didn't get any information from you. you got your name or nothing else. So I said, you still got to call him before we can touch it. So that's just the reason that is, if one goes in and not all the way, and somebody comes by and sees that, they're going to send people out there because somebody might have drowned or whatever. You know, where's the person that was on the, in that rig? So that's why I won't even go until I know that the sheriff's department has been called. I did one one time, and it was up uh, northeast of here. And I said, you call the sheriff's department yet? He says, no. And that was a snowmobile with a sled behind it. And he didn't call me back, so I finally called him. He said, well, I I, I drove down just a swimming suit on with a rope around me and got, got tied to it. Well, the reason they didn't want to, I think, you would have called the sheriff's department, they would have come out there. And I don't think he was sober. So mm-hmm. I think that's why he didn't call whatever they at going and doing that. But that's why I don't take a chance and I'm not going to do it because it's not safe, you know, for me to go out there in a situation mm-hmm. where the law enforcement hasn't been called. Does, do, do all insurance companies cover vehicles or ATVs that drop through or are there the, some that the do only, not? The only way they won't recover is if they got a writer and they have to tell you that up front. Um, somebody said, well, they only cover him once. No, I've recovered one that twice for the same guy over the years. <laughs> I've had, uh, the other thing is that everybody says, well, you're going to get fined every day. No, you got 30 to 45 days depending upon the circumstances. I had a side by side that went into 126 foot of water and open water in, in December. And, uh, we, we didn't know exactly know where it was at. We could kind of see it on, on, a, on a depth finder, but, when you got the cone on like that, where is it in relationship? So for safety reasons, the county gave me a permit to wait to tell. We had to have it all before uh, Memorial Day weekend. I had another one that went in where a guy went in, and he was swimming across instead of um, he was a little debriated. And so somebody come by and saw him from the fish house. And he, one of the, he's a off-duty deputy. He jumped off there and brought the guy back where he should have been yesterday in the hospital. And so we could see the tracks where it went in. It was windy that night, and it floated for a while upside down as a four-wheeler. And we searched the area. We found the windshield, but we didn't find that. So I got a permit to wait till the ice went off here again in May to go get it. But they're, they're good to work with you, but uh, if you're not attempting to get it out, that's when you are going to get fined. As long as you call somebody and the, with conditions, they'll give you that leeway. What does so it look like? Sorry, what, what does it look like when you show up? Can you explain what it's like to get these vehicles out? What kind of a equipment boom do you use? What What's the setup? 
Well, the machine I use is called a SUVI, Submerged Underwater Vehicle Extractor. And I designed it and got a patent on it. And so um, some people try to copy it and put around it. But uh, the nice thing about it, they use it. And I find out oh, whatever they charge, they got to pay me five times that amount. So it's kind of, mm. I should let them do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's a good business model. <laughs> but uh, no, they get to the site. Matter of fact, when, when somebody calls us, and even if the insurance company calls us, to go do it, I'm going to call the owner because I want to know everything I can. Um, and we get, I get on Google Earth and see the best way to get to it, the shortest route, the safest route. So we're well planned. So we get on site, we pretty much don't know where we're at. Now, the guy that put, his machine out in Sakakawi out there. His son was, who was an adult. They were both going out to look at some places to possibly set up for doing uh, uh, ice fishing or spearing. And when it went through, I mean, it was a shock to them. And the kid was able to get out, and the son was able to get out. And the dad couldn't get his door open, so he rode it to the bottom. Well, when they called me, and he saw it too, it was about, was it about 15 foot of water. Well, it was only a nine. So that helped him too. When he got to the bottom, he still couldn't get the door open. So we had to go out to the window and he was not a small guy and got up to the top and his son helped him get out. And they both broke through and had both gone out again. But we got on, we got to where we met him in, in, uh, in Garrison. He, uh, he said, I'm selling my fish house. I'm selling my four side by side, a brand new side by side. It was totally unclosed. And, and it was, you know, like being in a car. I said, just, you know, this, that happens, you know, but now you'll know to be more careful. If you would have stayed right along the shore going out through the narrows, you'd been okay. Mm-hmm. But when you went right down the middle because the water moves back and forth, it never gets as thick. So, again, rivers are always your, your, one of your most dangerous because that can change thickness of ice daily. You know, what are the best resources for people that maybe are on a body of water that they're not familiar with? Or maybe, maybe they are, but things can change. Are, are there tools that people can use to be able to, you know, know where is going to be safest on the ice and not? You know, how much is it just going to be visual and people figuring out the, it out for themselves? Or are there resources, you know, online well, or something bait, that people can use? shops are good resources. Okay. Whether you're on Lake Travis or Big Stone Lake, the people down there are always... You go stop in the bait shop and get your bait. They're, they're going to kind of know by other people and what the ice conditions are. But here again, you never rely on that 100% because mm-hmm. of the fact of that. Upper Red Lake, all the all the guiding services and where they stay up there, they always give them the ice thickness and when it's safe to go on the ice. But they had those guys on Upper Red Lake. They were out there and all of a sudden a whole section of ice moved and they had to get get the, the fire department to come out with their airboats. Mm-hmm. And the Zodiac and get the people off the ice. So, Natalie, were you and there on that? Uh, Lake Superior a lot too. So, <laughs> but, I was. I have to say, because Travis just asked me, I was not there, but I was going the next day. The next day, and I was getting a lot of phone calls mm-hmm. because people were hearing about it, knew I was going, and everyone was asking with me. So I wasn't there for that, yeah. but it was a big group. I have a real strong appreciation for ice because I. You mentioned Gary Lake Superior. I was on Lake Superior one time when the currents changed where we were at out by Madeline Island. We were fishing in about mm-hmm. three three hundred feet of water, roughly, and all of a sudden we were riding ice waves, and I've never been so freaked out. Glad to be back on land in my entire life, but I can't tell you what it's like to to be pushing sheets of ice down as you're moving across them because they're all breaking up from the ice. It's not cool. I've also went through Lake of the Woods before on a track that was staked out from the resort. The ice shifted. It mm-hmm. was cold. It was early ice. We were on eight inches of ice, which, you know, eight inches is 
pretty dang good for an ATV, most people would agree. And we went out, fished on our way back in in the dark. There were a bunch of, because of the cold, ice was cracking. And basically there was a big chunk of ice that had cracked in three different ways, making a triangle. When we went on it with the four-wheeler, our weight shifted it. And we just like, whoa, we all rode it down in this sheet. Fortunately, we were only in five feet of water because in four mile nope. bay it's it's shallow had we been in deeper water i don't know that i'd be here today having this conversation you know so these things happen out there and i've learned you know the value of a floating suit the value of having ice picks and really paying attention i ask everywhere i go on new waters if people you know bait shops like you mentioned gary are great. What, where is there ice to be concerned about? Where should we go? I mean, those are, those are legitimate questions most people should ask. Um, Gary, I, I am a little fascinated by the setup that you use, and you mentioned it, the name of it, but can you explain, like, when you show up there then, there's a vehicle, let's say, 20 feet below the ice, sitting on the bottom. How do you get it mm-hmm. out? Okay, my machine is weighs about 300 some pounds. It's 24 feet long. One that's put together some two parts. And it's kind of like, like a rail system. And basically the axles ride up on it. So there's a little, it's got a, uh, angle iron that's beat on top. And then we got a portable wrench that goes on top. We have our, our own portable pump. Everything goes like I said, we can, we can go out that way. So that covers deep or shallow when we set it up. We did one here about, three years ago on Otter Tail Lake and the year before somebody got their pickup in the same place. They hired a record service to go out and remove it. And they spent three days getting it out of there. And it goes to a salvage yard and the, the you know, the, they said, well, it doesn't matter because it's, it's been underwater. Well, the metal and stuff is still good. And a friend of mine looked at it because he's in the salvage business and they wanted 800 bucks. He said, there wasn't a piece of it. Of course, on 800 bucks, everything's broken. So the next year, one went exactly in the same spot. And we went out there, and we didn't want to go start uh, at the um, access because we would have to go out on the lake, go way down around an ice ridge and come back. We had about a four miles round trip, or four miles to get down and back to it. And so somebody was uh, right in County 1 there. He was out uh, blowing his yard out, and we could see the pickup up from his place. And he says, uh, I said, would you mind if we staged off? He said, no, no, I'll even roll it out. So he went portable out there totally <clears throat> with the with the winch and, and uh, my machine. And we had to cut ice probably about 100 feet to get it was strong enough to bring it up. And we just brought it up the channel just using my portable winch and, and uh, uh, snatch blocks where we could just run it up the channel we had. And then we turned it towards shore, got the good ice, and I put my machine in, and we had it out. Well, we spent... The guy says, well, he's about to have to go. My, his son lived right on the river across from the road where he was at, and they sat and drank beer for three days and had good entertainment. We had it out in four hours, and he said, you know, that was the, the insurance guy company called me because I worked for them, and he said, well, how come uh, they didn't call me on it? He said, well, he said the, they didn't go through the adjuster. They went to the agent, and they hired a guy, and they, they charged, he was charging $13,000 to do it. It was about a $5,000 job, and there wasn't a scratch on it, and we got it out. The guy was from down by the city's area there. He got too close to the river channel and went in. So it's it's what we do, what, because we've been doing so long, but the equipment we got, we do it about a third, if not even less than that, of anybody else are doing it, and our rates are a lot more reasonable. What what does it cost to pull a vehicle out? What do you charge? I mean, I, I 
Well, we charge okay. by the hour. We okay. charge by the hour, and it starts once we get to the site, and it and it uh, once we're done back on shore, and we're that we don't charge. But the thing is that um, we do, you know, we go out like way out more than well, we get more than fifty miles away. We charge windshield time because it gets to be a lot of you know we get a lot of I mean, when you got seven hours one way. Yep. Driving out to uh, to Wheel, that's a lot of windshield time. So they get so much in our windshield time, and then we get the mileage for pulling my trailer and stuff. So, but it's it's just a base rate for um, recoveries. It's twenty four, I think twenty five hundred for the first hour, and then it's uh, fourteen hundred for every hour thereafter. So the first hour, you know, you got to consider what it takes to get set up and and everything else. But like I said, our average our average recovery is usually about three or four hours. Now that tractor took longer because it wasn't we couldn't get our ice anchors down to the ice because it was too shallow, so we couldn't anchor good. And then he also wanted us to help load on the trailer so we get inside warm. Well, but Zach, because he couldn't get a wrecker in that area at all, so we helped him with that. So it did take a little bit longer, but on the average, our recoveries are three to four hours on a pickup. You know, we've talked about some pretty serious depths here, um, you know, in this conversation. I'm curious, how often is it that you're, you're actually able to recover these vehicles or are there times that they're just too deep or there are other factors that they're not recoverable? Oh, no, they have to they have to recover. Mm-hmm. We did run down in um, on the Minnesota River they, when the young man went in in May with the uh, uh, Volkswagen Golf uh, wagon and uh, he was fell asleep, and when he woke up, it was in the evening, and he was heading right for the pillars on the end of the bridge. And instead of going into the wrong lane, he turned off and went the other way, dropped mm-hmm. into the river. And uh, he, the river was about 20 feet above, above where it normally is, and he started floating down the river. And he got on the phone and called 911, and when he was on the phone, uh, he had the he had the sunroof up and he's standing up there and somebody said jump in I'll help you. There was a guy fishing along the shoreline, and so he jumped in and helped him get it out. They had they had some people out there in boats looking for it and they I got a call. Finally, the sheriff's department googled us and so we said yes we can handle it, and that was Swift County. So we ended up going down there and first they sent me pictures. They thought they found it. And I looked at it with the side scan. I said, no, that's a tree root system. You can see how the trees slide and everything else. So they hired another guy to go out there, the owner uh, the owner of the vehicle, father of the son. They went out there, and uh, they met one of my crew down there to go out. So if they did find a vehicle, he could dive it to make sure it was the right one. So... Uh, they got the owner and, and my guy that lives on a prior lake went out there and uh, they said, he said, we went and looked at that one upstream and it wasn't. So we ran side scan and live scan back and forth and we found it. You could even see the mirror on it. So they anchored and, and uh, Jim dove on it and came up with the license plate. Yep, that's the one. So um, it's not and we waste our time going down there, you know, when it's, if it's, if you like to get them out of the river, we won't end there anyway at that point. But well, they were getting to the point, and they didn't allow anybody on the river to even look for it until into, into the end of June. And people were looking for it going up down the river where they're fishing, and the fishing guide is actually the one that, that did find the, where it was at then. And so we went down there, and we had to set up with the record service to meet them, and they were going to, uh, uh, 
bring a big uh, wrecker in there. <clears throat> we used to lift semis and an elk up, but he couldn't put it on the access. And so we ended up, got down there, and we drove up, but they told us after we were almost there, and he said he sent me a, a text on it, well, I never got that. And so we get down there, and the, the river was six people below normal. So right off the end of the access, it was it dropped down to 14 feet, and they couldn't get, so I had to work the back as, back as far as I could off the access of my trailer without dropping it in, and then we winched it backwards off into the water. And then when we got back after bringing it up and, and bringing it back, we floated it up with my boat, called back to shore, and then the wrecker got that out. And then we had to get, I went on the, I didn't go on the, because he couldn't have got up that, that steep. So I went in the, in the sewer springs and mud there, and then he had to pull me out. So we got everything out of one piece, but uh, that was quite an interesting one to do down there. So I, I bet you but, could tell stories for days. I mean, 50 <laughs> years of pulling stuff out of the water. Um, well, why don't we do this? Let's wrap it up here with this. What is the most memorable recovery you've ever made in your life? Oh, that's how much I could have thought about that, but I'm just trying to think of what it would have been. Um, well, I suppose the one before I made my machine, we, uh, it was an easy recovery. Uh, there were two pickups on the ice fishing, and it was in the spring of the year, and the Actually, three of them. The first two vehicles made it, and then the third one dropped in. And the ice, it was all full of freshwater shrimp, and that color was made the ice look bad. So, have the third guy going in, they dropped it in. And uh, so, I was able to cut the hole, go down, and then hook it up, and then go under water waste. We had a bigger hole cut closer to where we could bring it up out. And in those days, everybody was using planks and stuff, and, and so we got it hooked up. We had two big tractors, big tractors up on shore, and we spent a whole day after we got it close enough to shore to get it out. And I said, there's got to be an easier way. And I was watching these, these uh, a friend of mine had a, in, in town here had a board set up where they could put the forks down and get the bolt lifts and stuff out of it. So then I made, I went through the process of making a um, plans for how I wanted to do it. So I could two pieces. And then I also um, made a model of it. And I took it into a local uh, machine shop here. And he says, normally somebody brings all everything they want on a, on a napkin. <laughs> we got to try to figure out how it is. And I had to write the scale and everything else. So that, that's how I went about designing it. And from there, it just, it just made it so much easier. And we go up and do a job. So, well, we appreciate you taking some time today to join us, Gary. I am fascinated by your career choice. I am fascinated by ice and the unpredictability of it. Um, if people meet you, odds are that they're not having the best day because something has happened. But you've obviously saved a lot of equipment over the years. Um, if somebody needs to reach you, they can find you at Tri State Diving. There's a lot of information on your website as to what steps to do next. And, um, but certainly the experience is there. Hopefully, you, I mean, I'm, I don't want people to go through the ice, but uh, if right. they do, they, they've got a trustworthy source in calling you. you for know, sure. I, I have over 70,000 followers on my Facebook page and how many on the YouTube page. So that's most of that's narrated. So, and the people that, that you know, say, well, I enjoy this, but I hope I never have to call you. And yeah. the other thing on it is that a lot of people, are, I mean, I've got it from other countries that follow my page because it's so unique what we do. Yeah. 
but and most of you know I, I put a narration. A lot of people just look at the pictures, but every picture's got a uh, telling what we're doing in that part of the job. And somebody says, "Why are you doing this?" You let other people know how to do it. Well, most places out there, it's a record service hiring divers versus we do everything. So once we're short, then it's the owner's responsibility. But um, there's guys out there that have got a, a machine, but they don't they don't dive, so they got to have somebody. We've done that for people in South Dakota down there. You got a record service, he was hiring local divers to do it. But when you do that, you got a responsibility if something happens to them. Where we're, uh, we do everything that once it's ashore, it's the owner's responsibility. Hmm. Well, I appreciate it. It's that awful, you... embarrassing, awful embarrassing when you got to do a fishing guide. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah. yeah no and here again, the only reason he went in, he was going too fast. And the people that mm-hmm. was taking off fishing didn't follow him because they didn't want to be going fast. Slow so, down, people. Slow down yep, on ice. Slow down. And, and, yep. and we had one where a semi, a semi, but a big truck went out, got his ice canceled, came out the lake, and the next guy, they, a guy just had a forward, uh, side-by-side, not, you know, just not even close one, went on the same road and dropped it in hmm. the next day. Scary so, stuff. Scary stuff. Yeah. Well, stay, that's right. We check ice every so many feet. There, that's a good rule of thumb. Slow down, check the ice, be observant, ask questions before you get to a new lake. And even a lake that you know pretty well, it can change really quickly, especially this time of the year when things are starting to melt and water starting to flow and move. Be aware, be um, prepared, and hopefully you never have to call Gary but uh, if you do, you'll be in good hands. Stay safe out there, Gary. Thank you very much for all your time today. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Fascinating stuff it there, is. Natalie. Yeah, and definitely I think many takeaways for people. You know, not only is it just, you know, interesting to hear some of these stories, but mm-hmm. um, things that we can all keep in mind to hopefully, you know, give Gary less work in the future. But I like when I had him on, it wasn't I didn't want to scare people. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not but it's really just like think about these things, you know, and, you know, Gary and I've had a handful of conversations the last couple of years and he always tells me these stories and I'm like, gosh, you know, because I'm watching out for pressure ridges Mm -hmm. always, you know, and crossing a pressure ridge, that's a dangerous spot. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's like, oh man, people go through in places where everything looks the same. There's no rhyme or reason. They just drop. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that stays in my mind when I'm driving across the lake. And I hate that thought. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. But uh, as you said, you know, as we've talked about, it's better to, to, you know, be prepared ahead of time to at least have, you know, thought through it a little bit. So yep, exactly. worst case scenario. Slow down. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. really ultimately the biggest thing. And people in their mind, they're like, I'm just going to get out. I'm just going to yeah. get it to get there, is, you know, because their heart's racing. Your heart's pumping. Yeah. It doesn't look good. Something isn't right here. So you're going to speed up. But ultimately, that's what does mm-hmm. you in. Yeah. Yeah. Good takeaway. All right. Interesting conversation. It is, yes. Uh, hopefully people enjoy that. You're heading... I'm heading on an adventure next. So our, our next podcast episode, it, it m- may be one of two episodes. We'll see how it goes. But I am heading to Norway. So leaping across the pond. So On a wild well, adventure. All you guys are starting to experience a little bit of taste of springtime. I'm headed into the Arctic for a couple last weeks of winter. So, so I'll cool. definitely come back with some stories from that and looking forward to it. I cannot wait to hear the stories. Well, with that, well, hopefully, if you if you are able to connect with mm-hmm. us when you're there, we'll be able to hear the stories before you get home. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing them Thanks, when Travis. you get back to travel safely out there. We'll be back uh, with another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. Mm-hmm.